Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And we have a shout out this morning to my friend or our dear friend, Mary Hall with CultureWise Consulting, who was wise enough to introduce us to Arouette Organization. And we have the CEO here, Allison Rapping, with us, as well as Brandy Smith, who is the Director of Programs. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. I was going to say on a bright and early Monday morning, but it's Tuesday. <laughs> so uh, I'm very excited to get to know you today and find out how we as a business community can rally around and support the great work that you're already doing. So Allison, do you want to kick it off first? Tell us a little bit about who you are as well. And then uh, who is the Arouet Foundation? And then I would love for you to introduce Brandy. I would love to. So my name is Allison Rapping, and I'm the CEO of Arrowet, a position I've had for about five and a half years. But I actually originally came to the Valley about 30 years ago to start an organization called Hands on Greater Phoenix, which is a volunteer service organization. And I spent 13 years there and then did a lot of work working in the criminal justice space, helping organizations build strategic planning, fundraising, and the job opened up at Arrowette, and it was such an incredible opportunity to be able to help women and their families who are involved in Arizona's justice system. Arrowette is a nonprofit organization that serves over 300 women a year, And we serve almost any woman who wants to be involved with us who's exiting out of Arizona's justice system. And we serve women coming out of prison and women coming out of jail and then women who are involved in parole and probation. And with me today is the fabulous Brandy Smith, who's been our longest standing employee other than myself. Brandy's been with Arrowette for almost five years. And I'm going to have her introduce herself and talk a little bit about how she came to Arrowette. Sure. So thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm Brandy Smith. I'm the program director for Arrowette. As Allison mentioned, I've been here, it'll be five years in July. It's interesting, the f- women that we serve being impacted by the criminal justice system, that's me. I was actually caught in the criminal justice system for over 17 years. I've served three different terms of incarceration out at uh, Perryville in Goodyear. And I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up and not having, there was many pieces to why that puzzle never came together. Um, But one of them was I didn't have passion of purpose. I didn't, I didn't know. I hadn't found the thing that would motivate me to not just get up every day and go to work, but to get up every day and make a difference. And so I'm super excited to be part of this program, um, be part of this organization And I think I'll have an opportunity to share a little bit about my story here in a little bit, Um, but very excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, and do jump in when when, uh, the feeling, it feels right to do that. We talked a little bit before we got on air about um, really this is, we're in a crisis situation. Can, Can you just let our listeners and viewers know right off the bat what we're talking about and and where the challenges lay. Absolutely. So what people may not realize is prior to the pandemic, Arizona had the fifth largest prison population in the country. So we incarcerate a lot of people and we have fairly long sentences in Arizona. So our sentences tend to be long 
And then when people come out, they have a number of challenges that they're up against. So we really do have a crisis in this country. Part of that crisis for women is from 2000 through now, we are now incarcerating 60% more women than we've ever incarcerated before. And we're incarcerating more and more women in Arizona, but this is happening across the country. The reasons that women are being incarcerated are slightly different, though, than why men are incarcerated. And that's what people really need to understand. Women seem to go to prison because of trauma, substance use issues, and mental health issues. So the majority of women who go to prison are not going for violent crimes. That's maybe 20% of the people. It's property crimes. It's drug crimes. And usually those property crimes have something to do with drugs. Even the violent crimes are often done in a moment to secure drugs to solve for a trauma-based problem. So we are now utilizing the prison system as a mental health facility, and it's not particularly effective. I think there are three really key reasons why we have this crisis. One is the war on drugs. The war on drugs started incarcerating people for drugs. We, the second thing that happened was we started to shut down all of the mental hospitals. We really also started to take away a lot of the government programs for women and families. We keep taking them back and taking them back. And then the third issue is that there really is a lack of recovery and trauma treatment for women and families in this country and a lack of housing for these families. So we have this crisis, and then we have a huge cost of the crisis. And that cost to women is that they are separated from everything they know. They're separated from their families. They're separated from their communities. And then their families are separated from them. Then there is this huge cost of incarceration. In Arizona, we spend $1.5 billion a year on the prison alone. That's just the cost of the prison. That's not the cost of jails. That's not the cost of parole. Then you take into consideration that when somebody goes to prison, they have probably lost their home. They've lost all of the contents of their home. They've lost their tools. They've lost whatever was in their shed. They've lost their car. Most importantly, they've lost their family. They've lost their children. Their children are now going to foster care or they're going to a relative. That also costs money. Then somebody's sitting in prison and they're not necessarily getting adequate health care. So they have a health care crisis when they come out of prison. They've atrophied their skills for work. They've been traumatized. So we then have someone coming out of prison and that cost that we think is $1.5 billion is really a $10 billion cost. That's why the business community really has to care about this, is that it's incredibly expensive. It's expensive to have people not actively in the workforce who really should deserve to be in the workforce and have incredible talents and skills. Wow. So much to unpack there. Thank you for an incredible introduction, both of you. I want to make sure, I want to talk about hope in a second, because I think that's what you were alluding to. Mm -hmm. Before I do that, though, can we help our viewers and listeners who are familiar with Televerde understand kind of how you run in tandem with them and also what the differences are? We've been blessed enough to have Michelle on with us a handful of times, and I know Arouette kind of serves a different purpose, but there's also a little bit of, of this going on. Can you speak to the, the, the similarity and also how you support each other. Absolutely. And I can start and then I'm going to turn it over to Brandy. Sure. Actually, 
Televerde and Arrowhead are the two organizations in Arizona that exclusively serve women in the justice system. We're not even touching the tip of the iceberg. So Televerde does an excellent job of providing really great job training services to women in retention jobs, which is about three to 5% of the population that really gets the opportunity to get a skill and then they provide wraparound services. Only three to 5%. They serve about 10% of general population out at Perryville Prison. So there are currently about 3,100 women incarcerated out there. It's the only uh, state prison for women in Arizona. Right. But the, the retention jobs are only, how many women are in retention jobs? Three to I see what you're saying. Yeah. So the jobs that pay well only have five to 10% of the women. The majority of women are in what they call general population. Okay. We serve those women. So we start our program in the Governor's Second Chance Center. So we're embedded in the prison in the Governor's Second Chance Center, which was a program started by Governor Ducey and is now still really running strong. We run a program there that Brandy really oversees. So I'm going to let her talk yeah. about the program and then talk about what we do after. I'm going to let her talk about it because she really built this program. Thank you. I'm all ears. Before I, I go into talking about the Second Chance program, I kind of want to backtrack for a second on some of the things that Allison said with the cost, the cost of this crisis. If we're talking about whether it's uh, $1.5 billion for actual incarceration or $10 billion with, with all the other pieces of that pie, one of the things that the business community, <clears throat> I think, is not aware of are the, all the collateral consequences. For example... I spent the most of my adult life as a statistic, so I don't want to overwhelm with, but I'd like to share a few of them. Uh, about 86% of the women who go to prison uh, suffer from some type of substance use or mental health disorder. About 51% of the women who go to prison are single mothers. As Allison mentioned, some of where does the care of those children, where does that happen? Um, who pays for that? I think that there are some positive changes happening, but there's still a great opportunity for the business community to get involved and really invest. This is not about prison. This is not a prison issue. This is a people issue. And so if the business community can start to invest in different things like, like trainings and providing different skill sets so that once women are coming out of incarceration, it's not just about going back to work. It's also about having an opportunity to make a living that takes you hopefully far above the poverty line. Mm -hmm. If we are only focusing on these minimum wage jobs, $15, $16 an hour, When's the last time you were at the grocery store? Oh, gosh. Yikes. Mm -hmm. So that $16 an hour has historically been, wow, that's a fabulous wage. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't even come close to livable wage in Arizona. Especially if you have a family. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And this was prior to inflation, but livable wage is about $19.45 an hour for a single adult. So you factor in however many kids, the cost of housing, um, all of these escalating costs. So... I think there is an opportunity to do, to make some changes in that direction. Excellent. We veered off on the program. We did. Went yeah, in yeah, our, yeah. Really what she went into was the importance of fair chance hiring. So what we're finding is that the majority of employers in this, in this country still do not hire people with felony right. convictions. Although 
every 96% of all felony convictions are going to come out. They're going to be employed. They're going to need to be employed. They're going to be your neighbors. So our goal at Arrowet and what Brandy will talk about is how our program is structured, but the program is really structured to give everybody all of the tools that they need to be able to make it out in the world, but to also get a livable wage job that they can support their families. And we really do a lot to educate the business community about what livable wage is. And if you get a great employee with a second chance, and they come and work for you, and you give them the tools that they need to be successful in that first year, I can speak from my own experience, you are going to have an amazing, amazing employee. Loyal, consistent, driven, dedicated. Dedicated. Yep. Smart and resourceful. Perfect. And so what we do in our program, which Brandy's going to talk about, Mm -hmm. is we really, really work to prepare the women economically, financially, behaviorally, to be ready to enter the world in the most robust world and take that tiger by the tail and just go for it. That's our goal is to give women the best shot at the best life Mm -hmm. for them and their families. Absolutely. Yeah, the Second Chance Program, it's a critical part of the pre-release strategy for women coming out of incarceration. We provide uh, one week out of an eight-week overall program with targeting women about 30 to 60 days prior to release. So one thing that I knew from my experience in the justice system is that First of all, the number one reason that women go to prison is because of relationships, and there's no felony conviction for that. We we get charged with drugs and forgery and all these things that are are tied to a lot of different things. Um, So we really wanted to create a program that was holistic as much as possible that complemented the existing Second Chance program. So our program, um, which is called Foundations for Freedom, It starts out talking about attitudes, beliefs, and values. I had a lot of different choices of what I could start this program, start off this program up with, lots of different topics that are, that pertain to women. But with values, if I came across this quote and it said, if we get rid of the drugs, the alcohol, the guilt, the bad influences, um, but we don't do any work on our morals and our principles and values, then we are, in fact, the exact same person and we have just wasted a second chance because that's what they all have coming out. So we start with values. We talk a lot about attitudes. I'm sure you've been told sometime in your life to change your attitude. Right? (laughs) Of course. I've been told quite frequently. And the reason for that is if you change the way you think about things, then you change the way you experience things. Absolutely. So instead of, um, there's a lot of different levels to that. Instead of saying like, oh, I have a felon, I have however many felony convictions and people are out to get me, that you train people the way that you want to be treated. And so um, we talk a lot about how your attitudes affect your behavior. We talk a lot about how, speaking of tip of the iceberg that Allison mentioned earlier, with the iceberg theory, with behavior is just just the tip, right? It's, it's getting comfortable articulating all those things going on beneath the surface, whether you're overwhelmed or you're scared or you're lonely. Uh, those are people things. 
those are not people with felonies things. Right. And so just learning to build on communication styles. We also we also talk about learning to communicate effectively, being aware of how other people prefer to communicate. We talk a lot about asking for help. The first few days of the program is really focused on change of mindset. It really, it is 100% peer-led. So we have, uh, besides myself, two other um, women on our staff that are also directly impacted by the criminal justice system. And so the power in our program comes from our experience. We have literally been where you've been. We have literally sat in the chair that you're sitting in um, as we're conducting this program. And it's not taught out of a book. Uh, It's not taught because I have a PhD, uh, School of Hard Knocks. And the first day when we see them and we start talking about values and those kind of things that I mentioned, you see a lot of arms crossed and different looks. And and when someone has their arms crossed when when you're talking to them, it could be that they're listening. But in this case, it means they have their guard up this is starting to get a little bit touchy. And so as we proceed through class, we start to see the guard come down and um, it's just amazing. We also do a financial um, credit counseling and we also talk about all the different ways how uh, Arrowette can help with employment. Incredible. Yeah. So, So we have a very diverse team and we do this intentionally. So we have members of our team with lived experience. We have members that are financial coaches, employment coaches. We have storytelling coaches. So anybody can come into Arrowette. We try to ensure that everybody's needs can be met. What I think is so powerful about Arrowette is that our recidivism rate for the last three years, which is the number of people that go back to prison either because they've committed another crime or because of a technical violation, is under 7%. Wow. Under 7%. And we're working with women that are quote-unquote high risk. And I truly believe that what it is is that if you have people who have a program and a methodical way to help you and you want that help, you are going to be successful. So we help, we start with the program that Brandy runs that's really peer-led. Then we get you a peer mentor. Then we have a financial coach work with you. Then we have an employment coach work with you. Then we work with you on SNAP and access and health and all of the benefits that you're entitled to. Then we help you with Dress for Success, who's one of our amazing partners. And we partner with lots of other nonprofits in the community. And we partner to get you every, touch you with everything you could possibly need. And then when you start the job, we're there shoulder to shoulder with you. What do you need today? We check in with the employer. How's it going? So much of this is helping the employer also and helping being that conduit between the employer and the employee to ensure the success. Once they get through about three to six months, they're going to be a success. It's going to work. And one of the biggest things that Arrowette does, and I think this is comparable, Teleberti and Arrowette are both really committed to helping educate Arizona's business community. One out of four Arizonans is going to have a criminal conviction in the next 30 to 50 years. One out of four. four. That means 25% of all Arizonans in the next 50 years is going to have some type of criminal conviction. If we keep one out of four people out of the workforce, 
that is going to be a major, major crisis. It's going to be a welfare crisis. It's going to be an employment crisis. And it's going to be a humanitarian crisis. So we have got to change the way we look at bringing people back from incarceration and bringing them back into society and into the workforce. Because if we don't, we're going to have a human crisis, but we're also going to have a massive economic crisis. And that's a business crisis. So I would say as a business conservative, you really want to be paying attention to this. And what AeroWet is designed to do is to help businesses. We run a business consulting program that we really are able to help businesses work successfully with Fair Chance employees. We are publishing a Fair Chance hiring book. We are also hosting, being hosted by J.P. Morgan Chase as our title sponsor. We're having an employment symposium at the Biltmore Hotel on October 5th. And we're bringing in national speakers, and we're really trying to help Arizona businesses understand how to onboard for successful fair chance hiring. And then we've got some incredible women for them to hire. How have you been able to get the word out to businesses? Do you have enough of these type of opportunities? Is it word of mouth? What can we do as a business community to rally around and and continue to help more people know about what you're doing and get more folks hired? Well, Brandy also co-leads our storytelling program, and I would love for her to talk about how we have actually mobilized our storytellers in the business community, because the business community is our number one audience for our storytelling program. Absolutely. So we launched our uh, Arrowet Storyteller program. It was probably bad timing at the time. We were getting ready to launch our first training live, and then uh, the pandemic hit. And so we had to, it was a great opportunity for us, though, to learn to pivot and do things virtually. Um, So that was great. But the the point of the Arrowhead Storyteller Program is we train previously incarcerated women and also their family. We haven't talked a lot about how the family is impacted by incarceration, but also their family members to share their stories to business business leaders, religious leaders, general public. And the point of that is to change the public's hearts and minds about how they feel about incarceration. I would say for the majority of people that if they don't know someone who's been impacted by the criminal justice system, it doesn't occur to them. And so there's there's two great things that happen out of the Storytellers program. First of all, by us providing coaching and training to these women to share their story, we empower them to stop being a victim of their own story and decisions and circumstances and take your power back and start using your voice. We have shared our stories with 500 Access employees. We've talked to, to Phoenix Chamber. We've Anyone who is willing to be open-minded about the things that lead women to incarceration, uh, most often those storytelling events end in tears on both sides, because I think what people don't know, they, they, they don't know. But one of the things that I always share with people is that having learned, hear, heard our stories and having learned about our journeys, you can choose to do nothing. But you can never again say that you didn't know. And that is creating a powerful ripple in the community. We have business leaders such as Mary Hall. We have folks that have just been such tremendous champions for us that the spark was lit um, in them, mostly from the storytelling program. 
really, Allison and I have this conversation all the time that this incarceration issue um, and this workforce issue actually can't be solved um, by one or the other party. It can't be it can't be solved only by uh, folks who have never been to jail. It can not solely be solved by people who have been incarcerated. It's going to take all of us together to 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 bring this into into focus and and make some great progress on this. And education is a big piece. Absolutely, of that. it's also one of the uniquely bipartisan issues. Mm-hmm. Um, there are advocates for criminal justice reform on both sides of the aisle. We work very very closely. As a matter of fact, some of the best legislation being being pushed forward right now is from the um, Republican head of the Commerce Committee, the Senate Commerce Committee. He is because he understands how critical this is to the workforce and to our economy. We've got to have people in 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 the workforce. And so we are working with GPL, we're working with the Arizona Chamber, we're working with the Phoenix Chamber. What I love is that Greater Phoenix Leadership also has a criminal justice reform group that's being led by Kimber Lanning and Terry Stewart. And they just published a wonderful op-ed because what Kimber really understands is that small businesses are really impacted by this. I will say some of the most incredible employees I've ever had have been people that have come out of the justice system. Um, It has been such an incredible experience to work with these talented people. And so I feel like if my greatest part of my job is advocating business leaders to make these hires and to give people tools and advice as to how to do it effectively, that's like my favorite thing to do is to help the business community understand how powerful this can be for them. And I also think it's wonderful that we are starting to see so many of our elected leaders getting involved in this issue. Mm -hmm. Do we have a responsibility as business owners and really even just community members here in Arizona to, well, I'm not going to ask it as a question. We have, (laughs) it's a statement. We have responsibility as business owners and community members to care about our, our neighbors and make sure that we continue to educate and and help with, is the word reform an accurate word? I don't know if that's an appropriate word to use. It, it is. Yeah. The October 5th symposium um, is an opportunity for business owners and com- community yes. leaders to come and listen and participate and hear some of the stories as well as na- yes. uh, national speakers. Between now and October, how does a business leader get involved? Where where do we find ourselves for more education? So first and foremost, one of the things that we offer is we offer reentry simulations that we create that are led by women of Arrowway. Huh. So they lead them. They and we can bring the reentry simulation to a business or to a group of businesses. We also can bring storytellers to businesses. We could also bring our fair chance hiring book and our employment workforce manager can sit with an employee and the book and kind of walk through some tips to how to successfully onboard for fair chance. We can help you with that. We can introduce you to other businesses that are involved in the fair chance movement. We would love to help businesses, especially businesses that maybe hadn't thought about this before. We would love to talk about how this could be. And if you need somebody who works in that area, we probably can find somebody who'd be glad to talk to you. I mean, we 
have women that are working in solar. We have women that are working in trades. We have women that are truck drivers. We have women working in retail. We have women working in, in restaurants. We have, what else? I mean, <laughs> banks. Yeah. We are actually trying to get women employed at the banks. Yeah. So we, we are really working with a lot of businesses. And if you are a business that's interested in working, we would love to talk to you. And we hear so often that people don't have, or businesses don't have enough people to hire. I mean, the, the workforce, of course, is is feeling a little lame right now, and there's more jobs than we have people who can handle them. This is a, a, an incredible resource for us to make sure we get the right people on the right, on the bus in the right seats. So I want to share a great story, which is actually Brandy's story. We had this incredible opportunity. We did contingent workers for the Waste Management Open, which is such a wonderful thing for us because we're a, we're a Thunderbirds charity, So and we love the Thunderbirds. And so this was just such a great opportunity to bring this all together. And we had women out there every day. And by the last day, Arrowette, tell them the story. <laughs> so we had the opportunity uh, to just provide a a small piece of the overall um, workforce that makes Waste Management Phoenix Open Which is no small order. No (laughs) small order, absolutely. So we um, provided just a a small piece. We um, originally had uh, 10 folks, 10 workers. They said, okay, well, we'll we'll give you a shot. And on the first day when we got there, they, nobody can say Arrowhead. Nobody knows what Arrowhead is. We knew that just like in every other room at every other table that we've ever sat at, that the opportunity we have the opportunity to show these people what we can do and how hard we can work. And so we showed up. We showed up early. Um, we showed up in the dark and uh, we stayed until all the work was done. And by the third day, uh, they are calling us on the radio saying, hey, Airwet, doing a great job. And all these waste management executives who had never heard of us. Now they know. Now they know. And um, I received such tremendous uh, positive feedback uh, at the end of the week. They said, you know, we we didn't know what to expect. Uh, we didn't, we, they knew that all of the talent that we had provided were, everyone's previously incarcerated, right? Mm-hmm. We really had the opportunity to show them, if you give us a chance and it's not just about second chance. It's not just about fair chance. It's really about opportunity. Uh, we worked harder than everyone else. Well, there's a lot of people out there, so I can't say everyone else. Uh, but we did our very best. And we came early and we stayed late. And we wanted to make sure that they knew that we were there to be to, to provide a service to them. Uh, that was so It's so critical to making that large of an event happen. Mm-hmm. And so... It was a great opportunity for our women. Uh, it was a great opportunity for our staff. It was long days, uh, a lot of lot of time spent on our feet. And but satisfying. Satisfying. Phoenix Open is such an iconic uh, Arizona event. It's an event I've been going to for 30 years. To be out there supporting the event with our funder, the Thunderbirds, with Waste Management, which is such a great company in the Valley, it it really was sort of everything coming together. It also taught us that we can run a contingent worker program. Like this is a whole area that I think Arrowette's going to start to to do now because it gives them an opportunity to work for a week, get their yep. sea legs under them. They all worked so hard and then it's something for their resume. So it's been, it was wonderful. We're so grateful to Waste Management and we could not be more grateful to the Thunderbirds. We also, I have to say United Way 
and LISC have been incredibly supportive of us. The United Way really put an investment in workforce, and they have funded us for the last few years to really build out our workforce development programs. We've spoken to their Women United events. We are really grateful to the Arizona funding community for the investments that they've made in us. And we are grateful that we've been able to ROI those investments and leverage them quite well. But we could never do what we're doing without the support of the foundation and business community here. I'm so glad you talked about funding because a while ago I was going to ask and I kind of lost track of that. So where does the funding come? Is it all? Is it grants? And it's sometimes some government money around workforce development in addition to private it's funding. predominantly philanthropy right it now. It is predominantly. predominantly philanthropy. We do have some government workforce funds, um, and we are growing. Like, the need is so much greater yeah. than I even began to anticipate five years ago that we need to quickly keep growing. So we're trying to find more ways to serve more people. We're serving 300. There's no reason we can't easily serve 400. Mm-hmm. And Every day when I go to our post box to see the mail, there are letters from people we don't even know asking to be a part of Arrowway. So word is starting to really get out. Good. And LISC, I don't know LISC. LISC is um, the is Local Initiative Support Corporation. And they're a billion-dollar housing and um, neighborhood development organization. They're a nonprofit that makes investments in the community. They invested in what they called the financial FOC, Financial Opportunity Center Movement. We are one of the very few financial opportunity centers that serves predominantly re-entry population. So we are a list financial opportunity center. So we've gone through a ton of economic training, employment training, financial training. LISC does tons of training. They give us a data collection tool that is unbelievable. So we're tracking credit scores, starting salaries, ending salaries. We're able to track health insurance. We're able to track how their credit's doing, their savings rates. We're really able to do a deep analysis on the women so we know what interventions work. We know why our recidivism rate is so low because we're tracking all of the data. So we know what data points directly correlate to the lack of recidivism. And that I think is a huge benefit that we can start to help educate a lot more people on how to solve this recidivism crisis. Absolutely. We're also tracking job retention, which I think is critical for the business community to understand. Every business can find a part-time employee or a temporary employee, and and you invest this money to train them. And then I hope you make it to 90 days, but then you have to start from scratch, right? And so in tracking the retention, job retention trends, just for the last three years, uh, we're seeing that women who come through our program and stay involved uh, at least two years, not only is the recidivism uh, rate tremendously diminished, um, but also we're seeing that they are not just finding for right now jobs, they are finding careers. Forever jobs. And they are staying. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about two, three-year retention rates, How can the business community not pay attention to that? Mm -hmm. How is it not critical uh, for businesses of every size to, wow, not just just train and acquire amazing talent, but learn how to keep them? 
It's just kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We have this incredible opportunity right now. Um, The Department of Corrections um, Rehabilitation and Reentry has just brought on a new director, and he is really innovative and I think wants to do a lot more women's programming. And so I think there's going to be a lot of new opportunities to help the women inside of Perryville for both Televerde and Arrowette. Um, I'm really impressed with the new director and how committed he is to really trying to help the women and their families. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We kind of talked a little bit about families, but I don't know that we really shared any stories. The impact that the family has and the importance of the family, can you speak to that a little bit? We, we touched on it, but we really didn't Absolutely. highlight it. So one of the things we talk a lot about in our class to the women who are incarcerated is that when a woman first gets arrested, she starts getting better. She starts, she has a a stable roof over her head. She's getting sober. She's getting uh, somewhat access to medical care. She is getting better. But at the time a woman is arrested um, and separated from her family, everyone who loves her gets their heart broken. And so we talk a lot about under, it's one of the things that I did not understand for my own self uh, as to what I was kept putting my family through. I'll actually share a quick story um, with my sister. So when I came home, I've I've most I've been home six years. I was uh, most recently released in 2017. When I had been home about a year, I called my sister and said, "Yay, one year, one year home. I'm doing great." And she was like, "Great, good job." I'm like, "Okay." Um, same thing happened at three years, and same thing happened at five years. Actually, at five years, she called me, and she said, "You've been home five years today." And I said, "I didn't think you." cared. She said, it's not that I don't care. She said, I want you to know something. She said, for my entire adult life, I have kept my keys on my nightstand and my shoes under my bed because I thought at any moment that I would get a call about you. And uh, she said, I want to let you know today at five years that um, I took those shoes out and I put them in the closet. And uh, she said, "I, I just want you to make it. Like, I just... That's all I ever wanted for you. And so for those of us that are incarcerated, we don't realize the trauma that we put our families through. Uh, We actually have uh, one of uh, our reentry coordinator, Sean Land, uh, is actually not directly impacted, but she is directly impacted family. And uh, I won't go into um, her story on that, but she is our first point of contact when women are coming out. And she really, really does an amazing job of sharing with them. Listen, I I have not been in your shoes, but I have been in the shoes of the people who love you. And please let me help you. And gosh, you just see the walls drop. You see the barriers come down. It goes back to the other story you shared when you're starting the program with these women and they're sitting there in the, I'll call it audience for lack of better order, mm-hmm. the, the, the training room and their arms are folded yeah. and we can misread each other mm-hmm. <laughs> based on our own story that we're telling ourselves, right? So when you start to teach, thank goodness you guys know, okay, in the beginning, they're going to look like they're not they're not taking this in. They don't want it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And that may or may not be true. And there's room for adjustment and change. The more we're educated, the more we know that people care about us. Same thing with your sister. What a beautiful example of 
you know, <laughs> every year you're sharing your success and it's not really feeling like it's being received on the other end when right. in quite honesty, it was the exact opposite. <laughs> She's rooting for you, cheering for you, loving on you, and also afraid and still dealing with her own trauma as a result of your incarceration. Excellent examples of how this happens and how it is a community challenge. It's a community crisis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think at least just for my own family, they made it through this terrible journey with me um, and came out the other side. And now great. um, I have a great success story of living my best life. Uh, But an amazing thing has happened without me asking them to do so that my family now takes an opportunity to correct people about how they feel about addiction, how they feel uh, about substance use and prison. And and they do that organically. Uh, that I would never ask that of them, uh, but it is an amazing thing to see them. They stuck up for me and they did not give up on me uh, for 25 years. And now I see them educating folks around them about a better way to treat people who we don't even know. Because if you don't know their story, who are you to judge? So before you came in the studio, you sat out in our little area out here. And above the wall, it says your story matters, right? Share it here. And that's the same thing that your storytelling program really understands, that our stories matter. (laughs) And it's through our storytelling that we really get to see they're a lot like me, or maybe they're different, but that's okay. And it it makes a huge difference. That's Storytelling is the oldest art form, right? I mean, cave, cave walls, <laughs> it goes back all the way back. So I, I really admire and respect that that's a big part of how you're sharing what value you bring to our community and to the families. You were going to say something. Well, just that the storytelling is so critical. I mean, how I got involved in this My brother was a public defender, and he was the director of training for the Washington, D.C. Public Defender Service. And I used to go to D.C. and watch him try murder trials. And I remember watching the families. I could not unsee those families. And that's how I got involved in this, was I started helping his organization, which trains public defenders. And the biggest thing they did was they trained these lawyers to tell the stories of their clients. It's all about telling the story of the client. And that was the biggest part of the training. So when we got the grant to do, they said, you can have a grant for whatever you want. What do you want to do? And we said, we want to do storytelling because that's the power. And we've been able to change so many hearts and minds in Arizona business leaders, political leaders, faith leaders, because we have this incredible group of women and family members who tell their stories to our community of a community that they are a part of. And they're saying, we're part of this community. And we, I think, have brought so many incredible new volunteers, so many incredible new mentors. That is all because of Brandy and her cadre of storytellers. They just mobilize the people to come on in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's critical that we are uh, providing education to all of the the different entities that Allison mentioned, uh, but we're also, in a small way, I think we are healing families and we're helping to heal communities. A uh, quick story, uh, one of our storytellers, a member of our staff, Samantha Garcia-Pinnell, uh, she shared her story and 
there was a young woman. It was done virtually, and a young woman uh, immediately turned her camera off. And so Sam, uh, sorry, Samantha, uh, got through her story, and we kind of opened it up to a Q&A. And this young woman came on, and her face was red, and she had just been bawling. And she said, thank you so much for sharing your story. And, and Samantha was like, you, uh, of course, like, are you okay? And she said, you know, I haven't spoken to my mom in over 20 years because of her addiction. And um, I'm going to call her today. And so that's, that's powerful. And that's where storytelling comes in. Yes, it's important for businesses. Yes, it's important for all different types of community organizations, but if we can heal families and we can heal communities, let's start there. Mm. And uh, it's why we're building Arrowette in such a way that it can be portable. Like we're really building it in such a way that it is a program that can go, that we can take it. We want to build it so it can go to other places in Arizona, but then it could also yes. go to other communities. I'm so pleased to hear you say that. I was at, I was going to ask that earlier on. So. This work we're doing, and I can be so inspired by it, but I can't take credit for it. It's this team. They are making this curriculum that is so incredible. And so we have this curriculum. Then we have all of our expertise from LISC and United Way. We have all of our expertise from all of our bank partners. So we have so much that we can bring to the table. And what we want to do is now be able to say, okay, can we bring this to Texas? Can we bring this to New yeah. Mexico? There's another critical area that I would be remiss not to speak of, which is in this national criminal justice conversation, two things are missing, but one is the Southwest. The voice of the Southwest is not well represented in the national criminal justice discussion. So I think what we're doing, what Televerde is doing, what some of the Arizona organizations are doing is so important because we've got to make sure that people understand the needs of the Southwest. And I feel like we need to be in D.C. We need to be in New York. We need to be talking about these very unique needs mm -hmm. that not are, are always thought of. But our goal with Arrowette is to make sure that it's tested measured, tested, measured to the point that it's portable enough that others can use our model in other areas that mm -hmm. make sense for them. And is it, uh, we're not getting the attention or that we're not thought of as much because of the ge geographical location and we're just that f much further away or because we're it's the fifth largest, right? Or the fifth. Right. But we have a large Latino population. That's not always discussed in the, like we talk about the South and the issues of the South. We talk about what happened with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. We talk about the Pacific Northwest, but we don't talk a lot about the very unique issues of the Southwest, which really permeate throughout the country. But I think we're ground zero for a lot of these important criminal justice issues, particularly as they pertain to immigration. And I think we need to have this voice much more at the table. So that's why we're building our programs, but we're also trying to build the voice of yep. Southwest. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap up, I told you to go fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk again around, since our listeners are typically business leaders and business owners, how can people get involved? And, and even if you'd speak, since we're towards the end of the, the segment today, who are they reaching out to? Where do we find more? How do we stay in touch? All that stuff. Sure. So you can reach out to us directly on our website, which is arrowetteempowers.org. If you'd like to get involved as a volunteer, if you'd 
that would be Samantha Garcia Pinnell. The easiest way, because we have such an amazing staff, is to reach out to us directly on our website. You have an opportunity to just fill out a little quick form and we will get right back to you. Uh, We would love to get connected with everyone who wants to be part of this solution. And then you can help us decide based on our experiences, how much time we have, who we know, yes. where we can kind of plug in and Absolutely. help support. Absolutely. There's yeah. a volunteer form on our website. Yeah. So that's Start probably there. the that's best That's super place. easy. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and we also have a wish list. So we put together hygiene kits for the women. We put together um, phone cards and phones. So we have this, we have a, a whole wish list. And if you wanted to bring things from the wish list, we do backpack drives. And then we give every woman when they come out they get a hygiene kit. They also get a journal that we actually designed with Bloom Daily Planners, who's an amazing company out of Delaware. And we have an Arrowette planner, and every woman gets an Arrowette planner when they come out of prison. And it's like all the important phone numbers, all their appointments, what their goals are, what their vision is. It's a vision board. It's like an all-encompassed journal to move them to get ready to start. It has an amazing quote on the cover that... Sometimes the steepest climbs have the best views. And that is so, so true. Relevant to us. <laughs> so relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and something exciting for us is we're a neighborhood builder. We're a Bank of America neighborhood builder this year. What does that mean? So Bank of America picks two nonprofits a year in each market. We were selected. It's a very big deal. We are incredibly honored to be a part of it. Brandy and I are both going through their leadership development program. And then we go to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we go through an intensive week of training. They also give us a substantial donation. But it was such, I'd say it was a pinnacle for us this year when we found out we won Neighborhood Builders. It was just a major, major gift for us. Congratulations. Yeah, that's huge. And obviously helps on the national end of things to to let more people know about what you're doing and, and make this duplicatable, as you've mentioned, make and it portable. We would love to have your listeners involved. Well, right. That's the goal here, right? Uh, let's talk again about the comprehensive mentorship program. I know it's as easy as just reaching out through the website mm-hmm. and, you know, filling out the kind of contact me form. Who would make for a great mentor and what kind of time commitment does it require? That's a great question. So our mentor and volunteer services manager is Samantha Garcia Pinnell. And we have three parts of this overall mentorship program. But the one that most pertains to the, to this community is our professional mentors. I would say the time commitment is up to you. And there's no criteria, no qualification. Do you want to be partnered with someone who is directly impacted and help them learn what they want to be when they grow up, find a career path, figure out education. We have a wide variety of professional mentors. Some folks are uh, retired business owners. Some folks are still in the midst of their own educational journey. And all, all of that's relative. To have someone, it's so important for us that are previously incarcerated to have someone who is does not know what it's like to just take a second and say, you know what, I believe in you and, and I want to help you get to the next great thing in your life. Are, are we so, paired then in a mentorship program like this? We're paired mm-hmm. with an individual. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And Mary's one of our Mary Hall is one of our great of professional mentors. Of course she is. Along with She's Lindy. amazing. Yes, yeah, she is. Absolutely. 
as we close out, um, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Because you just kind of dipped dipped our toes in the water about your own personal story. Is there anything else you want to share about your own journey? And the reason I ask that is when we talk about mentorship, I'm still, I, I don't think I'll ever not see you um, at the beginning of this segment talk about how lost you felt and really didn't have a direction. And so somewhere in there, I'm guessing you had mentors or a mentor who helped you kind of see, wow, if I, if I knew, if I, if I could see myself in the future and really believe that to be so, then all the angst and the struggles and the challenges and the small successes are worth it. So could I ask who might that be for, who was that for you in the beginning, if there was anybody? And then is there any other part of your story um, that you want to share with us as we, we close out the segment today? Sure. So this time when I came home, it was my third time and I was coming out of uh, seven years and I was assigned uh, a mentor who now uh, happens to work for a Televerde Foundation, Tammy Martinez. And I didn't know what I didn't know. There's some shame attached to it. I was like, I'm kind of old for a mentor. I was 45. And she said, just let's, let's see what we can do. And it proved to be, first of all, I would not have met Allison without her. Um, but it also proved critical to my overall reentry and and stepping back into the workforce, she helped me. I had went to dress for success and I went shopping and I had all these professional business clothes and I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And so talking me through some of those things, uh, learning how to advocate for myself, learning about um, understanding diversity in the workplace, understanding conflict resolution. It's very different coming uh, out of prison into a corporate environment. Very there's very steep learning curve. And so she was instrumental in helping me through that transition. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what was her name? Sorry, Michelle. It's no. Tammy Martinez. Tammy, sorry. Shout mm-hmm. out to Tammy. Wow. Five years for you, right? With yes. this And oh five my. in July. Wow. So really you've been on this journey together. Yes. Yes. And it's so funny because I was not prepared for this journey. Like, I was consulting. I was not going to be a CEO ever again. I was like, those days are over. And one of our board members knew me and she called and said, hey, I think think? this would be perfect for you. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. And she said, just meet the board chair. Well, the board chair was Lynn Oldham, who is the woman you cannot say no to. And so I'm so grateful that I did this. I'm so grateful. This has been such an amazing journey to be at Arrowette, to work with our incredible team, to work with all of the women that go through the program. But I think what is so incredible to me is that we've got a great board of directors, but we have a very diverse team that really does support each other. And when I say we're diverse, we really, really are diverse. We have a small team and it is the most diverse team, but everybody supports each other and any woman coming in is going to find somebody who they can relate to because we have somebody who can relate to everybody. That is our goal, is to be a place for everyone. Hmm. Yeah, And, and to be a community, not a transactional nonprofit. Once you join Arrowette, you are part of the Arrowette community, and you can be in the community as long as you want, but it's your community. Mm-hmm. Regardless of where you are in the stakeholder End of things. Absolutely. And, and as we close out, uh, you can you can read my most recent blog on our website, which mm. tells the story of how Allison and I uh, <laughs> came together. Okay. But I do want to say that this, it pertains to, to businesses of all sizes. 
when I interviewed with Allison, I did not have any of the skill sets that she was looking for. I never worked for a nonprofit. I've never done fundraising. I've never managed volunteers. But I believe today that she saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And the chance she took on me, it changed my whole life. Uh, there's <laughs> so much there. Uh, yeah. Even just a little bit, you shared a few minutes ago about how you had been, do I understand you had been incarcerated three times? Yes. And and that third time coming out in 40. Yeah, I was 45. Right. And feeling again, right? So what a beautiful, beautiful example of mentorship, community, learning to believe in myself, because that really is, I mean, we have to have promoted. She just got promoted for the third time. She is she now did. the director of programs. She oversees our program team. Believe me, they feel it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been incredible to watch. It's been incredible to watch. And the fact that the way the team responds to her and the way they support her work, it's it's really fun to watch the trajectory of our growth. And it's just going to be fun to watch the next five years. And the word that shows up for me is brilliant. You are brilliant. The program is brilliant. The community is brilliant. We, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. So thank you both for spending your morning with us today. Thank you. Uh, thank I'm you so much so, for yeah, Well, we'll have you back. Uh, for our listeners and viewers, again, it's arouetteempowers.org. That's A-R-O-U-E-T-E. M-P-O-W-E-R-S.org. I figured I couldn't stop there. I had to keep going. Uh, also on LinkedIn, Arrowette for Good. Facebook, Arrowette for Good as well. Twitter, Instagram, you're, you're out, out there on the social media actively on any one platform more than the other. We're very active on LinkedIn. Which is where you should be. On both and personally and like we all, I try are. to really encourage our team to have active LinkedIn. Very terrific. So we try to post a lot on LinkedIn. Good. And if you're not, Daryl's going to make, our producer going to make sure you are before you leave today. So again, thank you so much uh, for being here, Allison and Brandy. It, I feel very honored and I'm looking forward to figuring out how we can continue to, to uh, serve your mission and, and get the word out. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business and community involvement. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 